welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter-ish at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Good to see you in this new format. Yeah. Good yeah. to see you and other people get to see us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our condolences. That's right. <laughs> How you doing? Get to have to. Uh huh. How you doing this day? Oh, pretty good. Yeah. Mm hmm. It's uh, appreciating the sunlight. We normally do this when it's dark outside. We usually do. So we have have been. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And uh, so, it's not only that we're recording at a different time of day. We're also having different kinds of beverages. Usually, we both have cocktails. Usually, Manhattans. What are you having this? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I assume this time of day you are not having a Manhattan. What are you having today? Before noon isn't the best time for that. I don't know. Yeah. Round upon. Uh, yeah. No, I've got uh, chamomile lavender tea today. Excellent. Well, and I'm having a rooibos with kava and lavender. So hey, we're both having going on. we're both having sedatives for this. So hopefully we stay awake enough for everybody. Uh, watching and listening, which brings me to, uh-huh. uh, yeah, we are doing the video version of this thing now, right. which is exciting. So uh, welcome everybody to season two of Found in Translation. The first season was only available as an audio podcast, and we were exploring Brandon's um, at-home translation of the Gospel According to Matthew. Now, our plan for season two has always been, it's got to be Ephesians. If we're going to go into Paul, we got to go into Ephesians. It's so fun. Uh, but that's not the only change we wanted to make. Uh, after hearing from our listeners, we understood that these conversations could be even better in a format where you can actually see it on the screen persistently. Uh, being able to glance at the text that we're talking about is kind of an important part of how this whole conversation works. Uh, So this is our first episode of broadcasting this on Facebook Live, and we'll be putting it on YouTube as well. So we're going to, right now you're just looking at the two Brandons here, but we are going to, here in a few minutes, move it front and center for you. So the bulk of the screen is going to be the text, which, fingers crossed, the recording quality will be good enough uh, for you to be able to read it uh, sufficiently. So, yeah, that's that's what's changed. So we're talking this week about just the first part of the first chapter of Ephesians. If you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation ahead of time, well, for those of you joining on YouTube or Facebook Live, Uh, We will have the translation up on the screen here momentarily. Uh, And for those of you listening, we highly encourage you to read through it. There's a link to the translation in the show notes. And as always, be sure to check out the footnotes on this one. As you'll see, if you've already opened it up, it starts with a lot of big footnotes. So yeah, take, take a minute. If you're listening to give it a read.
want to say a couple things about Ephesians here at the beginning, as well as some of the pacing that we're going to do a little differently this season. One of the lessons we learned in going through a book as big as Matthew is that a lot of the big turns, turns in terms uh, that the translation project produced came up early and we tended to hit it as soon as we could. So as soon as righteousness was replaced with something else, as soon as sin was replaced with deviations, we spent a lot of time going over that. And then later on, would just sort of um, variously brush past it or uh, over explain it again. So we're going to be trying to take certain words and pace them out further out in Ephesians, especially if they're a little bit less urgent for us to talk about. So that first uh, footnote there uh, with the word emissary, where there's usually apostle, that's a really fun thing to get to talk about. We're going to find another time to do that. So if your favorite word or term or change uh, doesn't make it into this uh, episode, keep listening and watching, and we will talk about it a little later. Second thing is uh, you look at any remotely scholastic book about Ephesians, and there's a lot of scholastic uh, headaches and arguments over who wrote it. There's plenty of good reasons looking carefully at the text to suppose that it wasn't actually the Apostle Paul who wrote it. Uh, and there are some decent arguments to say why if it was either Paul or someone very, very close to him trying to be faithful to uh, the spirit of his teaching over a couple decades. So for us, apart from who we think wrote it, I'll speak for myself. I'm not too interested <laughs> or worried about it, but we're going to just call it Paul. So if you, if that bothers you, cool. Um, <laughs> we'll just say Paul and we'll mean the total, we'll really just mean the author and let the listeners and viewers understand that fill it in as you see fit. If you have a strong opinion about something that nerdy, anything else you want to add to introducing Ephesians, Brandon? Um, it was fun. It was definitely very different than translating Matthew. I think you and I have talked about this, mm -hmm. um, making a lot of jokes about, like Paul's great learning has driven him mad. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what in the world? These sentences, like they stretch on for like six verses, but like kind of go on one idea, go off on a tangent for a while, come back to that same idea, like mid thought, like four verses later. It's like, what in the world? Right. Um, so my very, a lot more dense, like I had to pull out my uh, grammar text much more frequently to look up all the different uses of prepositions because like every preposition seems to be really important. Uh, whereas that not so much in a narrative like Matthew. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot less context of what's happening in a document like this 
for it to help sure. kind of fill that in. So it was a very different experience translating translating this than it was Matthew. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, the the word choice and terms are all quite a bit different. And some of the consistent words and ideas and themes really had had a couple of two to four decades to mature and ripen and develop, you know, frankly, just in different communities than Mm -hmm. from Matthew to Ephesians. So some of the things, some of the words and ideas that we're going to explore are going to be ones we have talked about in Matthew, but we're going to do our best (laughs) to explore it through what what did it mean to Paul in Ephesus with uh, you know at least a generation there of maturing and deepening and, and community reflection and practice around these words and ideas and stories mm-hmm. so okay you know the first one that I want to talk to you about is at the end of that very first line. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Can you just read that first line? We're, we're exploring the word desire mm-hmm. here. Chapter one, verse one from Paul an emissary from Christ Jesus by God's desire. So usually it's the word will there. It's God's will. Uh, Why yeah. was that worth changing? All the reasons. Uh <laughs> Okay, alphabetically then. Yes, yes. Um, honestly, I think that comes from just like outdated English, um, uh-huh. but it has like we've held on to it when it's about God, but not when it's about other people in our translating because God's will has become this like really theologically significant concept, sure. even though the language there is no different than just like desire or want. It's it it's not any more weighty than I'm hungry. So I want some lunch. Like that's it. That's what the word means. And it can be a really intense, like I want to get married. Like that's a much bigger want, right. Versus I want a snack. Um, But just like the English word want can have that whole range. So can this Greek word fellow. And it's not supposed to be. Yeah. And you see that show up. Like it's not, this term of like this theological term of God's will. It's just mm-hmm. not. Yeah. Um, some really good examples that, that I thought of is like it, in John 1 43, it has the same verb here, fellow, um, that just says Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. Yeah. Like, I guess you could say it was Jesus's will that he set out for Galilee and it sounds much more weighty, but it's, it just means he wanted to go. <laughs> Like, it's kind of severe. Yeah. Uh, and another one is in Matthew uh, chapter 20, where the, the two blind men um, call out to Jesus for help, calling him son of David. And, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Like, it's just this very straightforward question. It's, that's this word here. It's, he's not asking them, two blind men, what is your will for me? Like, it's not. Right. Right. It's, yeah. It's just right, weird when you start getting the word will in this like religious setting yeah and it the tradition around god's will 
has been such a gross and harmful and abusive Mm -hmm. and anxiety inducing space. Am I in God's will? There's one meticulous path of God's intention that we must precisely navigate our way through like the ninja challenge show. Like we just got to hit every little bit to get across. (laughs) And uh, otherwise if we deviate from that, we're, you know, in a bad way. And that Mm -hmm. God, a will is also just something that it's like a decree. It's a fiat. It's this kind of monarchical gaining. Mm -hmm. There's an authority behind it. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, God is authoritative. We will get to that in um, a couple of verses here, but that's not what this word is. That's not what this word is. Like, yeah, there's also affections and longing and hope that are all mm-hmm. blended into deciding to go do something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in verse 11, like here is just kind of like a, like God, the God wanted this, wanted me to be an, an emissary here. And, you know, but I think it carries a little bit more weight in verse 11. If we want to peek at that real quick. Sure. Let's see. Verse 11. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we were also assigned with him, with Christ, marked out in advance to be presented by the one who enacts everything based on the intentions he has in mind. So intentions there being how I translated it in this context. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he wanted to have happen, um, what he was moving what the direction he was moving into based on what his desires were basically um and but intentions and like i want to move in this direction to me feels very different than by based on his will like this is going to happen because i said so right right yeah Yeah, it it leaves space for other visions and understandings of how God's desires for the world or God's will, whatever you want to call it, interface, mm-hmm. like how it actually works. Like let's, let's pop it open a little bit, make it a bit softer here um, in a good way. A bit, it's more spacious. Yeah. yeah. And it still has to do with what God is wanting to have happen and like taking action to get it, to get it there. But it's, yeah, it just, I think it just creates a buffer between some of what you were talking about earlier of like those, those abuses, those like toxic sense of yeah, yeah. that anxiety producing, is this God's will or is it not? Is it or not? Is it or not? Oh God, I hope it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real relief to be able to just find it in the text instead of having to do what we're doing of like having an extended aside, like so often in sermons or in like a Bible study group or whatever, it feels like you have to like, you have to clarify how to sort how to round the sharp edges of conventional and dominant translations, which generally have come from traditions of um, imperial power 
and strength. And so they have unchecked um, dispositions towards a monarchical um, vision of the divine who is more mm-hmm. like An the pharaoh, the pharaoh yeah. of at the top of a pyramid than mm-hmm. um, the, the one who is crucified. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of our visions of God as we've been have inherited them have been much more like Pharaoh, like Caesar than they have been like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to. That. Great. Great. So the next one that I think is worth exploring today is highest heavens in verse three as the translator, mm-hmm. would you lend your voice? Sure. So starting at the beginning of the verse, may our God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ be praised having pronounced good things for you regarding every benefit associated with the life breath in the highest heavens. Now I had not so, thought of this as, as a phrase that was all that liberative or healing, but then as we got talking about it earlier this week in preparation for this episode, uh, it popped me open to a deeper listening for it. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, looking at it in the Greek and just like as carefully as I have to do to translate is like really starting to like highlight. In, in Matthew, for instance, we only had two levels to deal with, really. You know, it was like heavens or sky as we have gone back and forth about the better way to definitely not heaven with a capital H. Um, no. But the heavens or the sky and the land or the earth. Um, and that was simpler, kind of has the sense of like top to bottom, everything inclusive or where God is or in God's presence or with God in view versus Mm -hmm. a more human experience, um, leaning experience. But Paul starts to like really differentiate between like multiple different levels within each of those two categories. Um, So the word here isn't the same as uh, heaven or noise. It's, Epi Uranois, which literally means like whatever is on or over the Uranois, the heavens. Mm-hmm. So it's like the very top part. Um, Be- beyond what we can see, beyond the firmament. Sure. I mean, yeah, if you're trying to find a, like, a physical location for it. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> yes. Um, so there's apparently there's that. And then there's just like the regular Uranois, the regular heavens. And then at one point it talks about the air is how it's usually translated but it's really the same like the part of the atmosphere but the part that's closest closest to the land the part that we're breathing in the part that we're in right now you know mm-hmm. um and the the significance of all these le- levels is not because it's talking about some weird cosmic dimension um no. it's it's talking about levels of power and authority the higher altitude you get in the image that you're using you're attributing it the most power the most authority mm-hmm. um and so like even when you get to the part where it's talking about the air it's like saying yeah it's there's some power and authority there because otherwise i would say the you know, on the land but 
it's it's the lowest tier of that. Sure. Sure. So you're airing, uh, so to speak, uh, towards yes. a um your a more literal translation here, which is also a more phenomenological way of describing power relations or cosmic mm-hmm. mysterious yeah. mojo. It's weird. It's both more literal and metaphorical at the same time still. Like it's just yeah. making sure it's leaning on what I think is the metaphor that it's actually trying to lean on mm-hmm. rather than the like Dante-esque uh, much later European like things that have just like gotten put into it. Like a layer cake of like yeah. better people. So even in the afterlife, there's still a like hierarchy right. of like, some people are still better than other people. Right. And, and like, so a lot of translations do the heavenlies mm-hmm. instead of highest heavens, or even I've seen some of them do like heavenly places. And that's still, I mean, it's, if you're understanding that to mean like a symbol of authority and power, fine, I guess, but there's no places in, in the Greek. It's, 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 everyone has to, is trying to figure out what do we do with this? What meaning is this actually trying to get at and trying to figure out how to, how to bring that out. It's a, it's a bind uh, how to, which direction you want to go at this point, because mm-hmm. for myself, I love translations that make it more arcane not not more like weird religious language <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that we're like over familiar with, but enunciate the like the foreignness of it. There's mm-hmm. a translation of the Torah, the first five um, books of the uh, Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's called the Five Books of Moses by Everett Fox, and it reads so strangely because it's leaning so valiantly into the weirdness and the idioms that were so normal. And Mm -hmm. he has footnotes to explain it, but, and and it seems that you you're erring on that side of being comfortable with the, the alienness of the, um, the idioms they use to texture reality. The other direction here would be to say, Mm -hmm. um, find another way of saying, uh, having pronounced good things for you regarding every benefit associated with the life breath in the deepest part of reality, like making some sort of appeal to mm. ultimate power to, again, ult, like power language is so much of what the Christ deconstructs and tears apart and rebuilds mm-hmm. around God's self yeah. and, and the crucifixion that it, it's hard to know how to enunciate that sense of the, the truest core of reality, the grain of reality of a spirit infused reality is what we're getting yeah. at here. Whether you talk about a two, te- a two deck, three decker reality, or you're talking about um, the more phenomenological language of Paul's day, or just saying like, yeah, the, I guess more 
poetic notions that I'm at. Like I, yeah, like I, I am trying to let the poetic language, the imagery, the metaphors do their own work to an extent. Mm-hmm. I could have just said something along the lines of, with the most authority. Yeah, you know, and that would work, but it would also narrow it. In general, I think the part of the beauty of metaphors is, is that it allows some ambiguity, some, some sense of this can communicate more than one thing sure. and it can land in different ways and different contexts for different people um, and just removing the imagery and just trying to like, here's what this means. Um, it does away with a lot of that and it, it, it makes it less good literature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. So the next idea to explore together is, if I can get it the right size on the screen. In verse four, we're going to talk about where there's usually the word saints, but here you have Mm -hmm. sacred. You lend your voice to this. Just as God designated us to be with him before the founding of the world, he designated us to be sacred and without blemish, as far as he's concerned, through love, having marked us out in advance for adoption as heirs through Jesus Christ, based on what, based on what seemed good for his intention. And stop us there. Um, yeah, sacred. Mm-hmm. The, the Greek there is hagias. Um, that that word that traditionally depending on what it's how it's being used is either holy when it's being used as an adjective as a describing word um or like you said as saints when it's being used as like a designation for who these people are so like maybe more literal going with the holy is like holy ones because it's still an adjective technically um but that just doesn't designate holy what in the Greek, holy people. Um, and holy, If I mean, if there's ever been a religious technical term, holy is that. Um, so it's, it's not a bad word, but it has, like everything else that we've been talking about, way too much baggage and way too much um, stuff that goes with it that makes it that distracts from what I think it's actually trying to get at. Um, and mm-hmm. sacred. So sacred, I think actually does really, really well from in most contexts, you and I've talked about this a little bit when it's talking about people, I'm actually not fully settled on that. Like what is the actually best way to do it here? Um, and part of that is, honestly, similar to some of the effects of the word holy of kind of being this judgmental, like good and bad dichotomy um, is that if there are people who are sacred, is that's implying that there are people who are not sacred. And I don't like that. Mm. Um, Why don't you like that? Because it depends, I guess, on what you're meaning by sacred and uh, the way that we talk about life being sacred 
people being sacred is that there's something precious about it and that it has value and that it should be treated uh, with care and dignity. And, um, and I would say that that's true of every single human person. Um, and it isn't any more true for one group than another. Um, yes, sir. So the implication of using the word sacred with people feels like it's hinting mm-hmm. at maybe I think there's a tiered value system with people and that's not true. Right. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what do we do with this instead? And I, and I am not sure. Hmm. Yeah. What is the heart of what it's trying to get at here? The, I mean, the, the word, mm-hmm. what's, the word itself mean it has to do with um kind of being designated for a purpose hagios or hagioi is it yeah yeah hagios um plural being hagioi and so like you know you can talk about having cups and glasses in your cupboard and they're all just cups and glasses and I pull out a wine glass that's designated specifically for the purpose of holding wine. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's in, in, a, in that way, it's a, it's a holy glass cause it's designated for a specific purpose. Um, and it's not about it being more valuable. It's about it having a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's really this at the core of what Hagios means. Okay. And, and it's usually used in kind of a, a religious context. Um, but so designated for a specific religious or spiritual purpose. Um, but not, not about value in any way, or even about, um, being moral or immoral or any of the other things that we often associate with holiness. No. Yeah. Yeah. It so easily means, um, better, more, more virtuous. Uh, it's, it's very much about some intersection of how someone's character intersects with someone's reputation, someone's interior intersecting with their exterior, (laughs) Um, mm-hmm. and being particularly, um, virtuous and then saints, that's, that's another. Oh yeah. Uh, I get some all sorts of stuff. It sure does. I mean, like the, there's a whole designation in the Roman tradition of folks being designated as a saint, which I love the tradition of being able to say, this is some, an exemplar that we are going to uphold and remember and yeah. make, make it a point to. The model Tell the that stories we can of learn yeah. from and yeah yeah I love it and when the word saint shows up in here to mean Christians mm-hmm. it's like well that's messed up that's <laughs> that's that's <laughs> not really what the word saints means he right. could have said it but he didn't he chose a word that is um, resonant with br- brimming with like these 
uh, instances of, well, the temple mm-hmm. uh, and the Levites and people yeah. being dedicated. Right. Yeah. That without blemish right next to it was is clearly about temple sacrifice kind of language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that point about being like the Levites. Yeah. Yeah. So for a bit of context, uh, the Levites were the tribe that was designated to do the cultic matters first in the um, tabernacle and then later in the uh, temple. Mm-hmm. And while all of Israel was to be uh, a royal was the, is the language royal priesthood or kingdom of priests? The one that's one of them is in like Peter or something, and the other one is in the yeah, Hebrew. I think they essentially mean the same thing. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the heart of it being what the Levite, Levites are to you, to Israel, you, yeah. to is, you Israel, you as mm-hmm. a uh, dedicated people. Mm-hmm. You are holy in your own way. They are holy in their own way within you. It's almost like this, like, a Troshka doll kind of thing here. Mm-hmm. And uh, then within so you, the Levites, you have the descendants of Aaron who are yeah. the priests serving the Levite, and then the high priest, like yeah. Yeah, it's uh these concentric rings of uh these are the people who don't just facilitate the religious things, but they become icons of inspiration for what it means for mm-hmm. us to be as they mediate the divine. And hold the stories yeah. with us, and they. Uh, this is getting into more broad ways of describing the priestly function, um, translating creation to God and God to creation. That's a little bit mm-hmm. bi- grossly binary uh, for us as part of an incarnational religion, or them as a creational sure. religion. But another way that's coming to mind is as. Uh in leadership at the agency where I've worked for the last mm-hmm. several years, um, the language that I have started using as I train new supervisors and stuff is that we are, um, we're not thinking of the positions as a chain of command from the executive director to the director's team, to the supervisors, to the, it's, mm-hmm. we're thinking of it as a chain of support. Oh, it's um, good. The people on the front lines need the support of the supervisors to have what they need to do their job well and to have that be sustainable and accomplishing the goals. And they need the supervisor, need the directors to do that for them, that executive, you know, it's this chain of support. And I think that's exactly what's happening here is the priests are supporting that connection between the divine and the human and the Levites are carrying that out more broadly to the rest of the people. And like, there's this chain and then the Levites doing that with Israel, Israel doing that with everyone else, supporting mm-hmm. everyone and finding that connection between the human and the divine. Yes. Yeah. And it's the purpose that they've been called to, that mm-hmm. they're designated to fill that role. Mm-hmm. So Paul here is, um, folding them into Israel's story here, to use uh, Willie Jennings' language. Hmm. Uh, they're being folded into Israel's story, and 
the images and practices that held and sustained that identity can become um, not just things that are replicated, but freshly re-explored together. Mm-hmm. And in this case, take any given part of the temple. Like it's not explicitly saying you guys are like you're the sacrifice, or you know, <laughs> you could you could be the lamb right now in this moment. Um, because then he just like jumps right down to uh you know and even marked out in advance for adoption as heirs like he is throwing every metaphor he can so even if it's not paul writing this the person has certainly captured paul's willingness to just mm-hmm. very non-anxious non-anxiously non um technically drawing from so many themes in his tradition and his people mm-hmm to describe his understanding of what what creator has done through Jesus. So I love that this is this sidesteps the um, kind of us versus them binary, like uh, a worthy, a worthiness binary and it's more yeah. teleological. Um, it's mm-hmm. more. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not. Again, this is something we say over and over um, in the first season, but you're not cutting out the parts you don't like. You're looking for what's the what's the sacred heart of mm-hmm. the matter here being fully woke to as best you can to what toxic trajectories may be in existing translations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still a work in progress, like with the fact that not settled about the word sacred, like mm-hmm. I wonder if there's another wording that could get at all the things we were just talking about. Um, yeah. that might even be more helpful to make that, to draw that out. Mm-hmm. So the next one that we well we wanted to explore these two words in verse six uh renown and glory where is that renown uh, instead from, of glory oh yeah sorry yeah <laughs> lord help me uh and the, the renown of his generosity so instead of yeah. the uh glory of his grace mm-hmm. uh we're those are big words that we can't fit into today's episode but we're going to get to further be curious about that or just scroll back to the last verse or the last page there like the life breath for the holy spirit don't worry we'll get there we're going to get there uh but the next one we want to explore is let's see you know let's go ahead I was thinking that we were going to do the glory in this one and then maybe spend more time with grace in future ones. Great. Let's, let's yeah, do that. Cause, cause there are uh, most of them are in this chapter for glory. Okay. Yeah. Let us talk about glory or rather 
renown. So could you lend your voice to whatever stretch of the of mm-hmm. uh, six you think is appropriate? Yeah. So we're continuing on the same kind of sentence that we've been working on for a while, just taking it in chunks. Um, so yeah, what, what seemed good for his intention toward affirming the renown of his generosity through which he generously gave you the one he loved. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about the generous pieces of that because that carries a lot of weight too, but the renown here, Uh um, that's another like glory, (laughs) man, there's so much there that has nothing to do with scripture or Jesus or that that could be brought into things. Um, I think of even like finding glory in battle, like in killing other people, like how that's not connected. Yeah. It doesn't mean like badassness. No. Um, I think at at the core of what doxe, the, the Greek word there means is something along the idea of noteworthiness, something that's attention grabbing, something that's worth noticing, that's um, worth sharing with others because like, whoa, this this thing is incredible, right? Um, And then you get it connected with Israel and the history there and again, God's presence in the tabernacle and the temple that's represented with the light and like making Moses face glow and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And there's connections there that you can't ignore. Um, and it's also not going to be possible to put like a whole paragraph in here for that one word. Yeah. Um, so I, I played with a lot of different things and in back in Matthew, I was using phrases like brilliant presence um, and for all to see um, and things like that, trying to kind of lean on what, what is this getting at kind of at surfacing the most relevant part of it um, there. And that, what I found as I was doing Ephesians and some of the other books is that renown works pretty well. It's about the, the fame, the, the reputation, the high impression that the people have of God, or in this case, God's generosity, uh-huh. um, that's worth paying attention to. Yeah. 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 This one is really just as simple as making sure we're going to not use words that while earlier there was, we were both like, we were fist bumping about some good, like the, the flexibility of metaphors. Mm-hmm. Glory, gl- glory. There is a like radiance, brilliance kind of mm-hmm. momentum within the, tra- the early tra- linguistic tradition about glory. Mm-hmm. It's so friggin' lost. It's, yeah. In it, it, it's it, not in a Merriam Webster entry about glory anymore, right? It's, no, no. And it, it often is code language for God's supremacy and God's mm-hmm. need to be um, <laughs> askist. Like, um, like a diva, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's more and, like and a kind not, of a diva not, feeling of like, look at me, look at me. Aren't I great? You know. And not, and not in the good, like, no, like 
drag queen sense of that kind of like fun <laughs> energy. Like God no. has that kind of good drag queen mojo, but not, that's not what this means. It's so much more like everybody talk about how awesome I am. I mean, I could be doing a voice of a certain lunatic in Florida right now to <laughs> enunciate this. Uh, but that like the appeasing of God's deep and abiding insecurity and need to know that he is the dopest shit ever. It's like that the chief end of man is to enjoy God and, uh, glorify, you know, it's the, the the messaging is really, it's like the chief (sighs) end of, of what it means to be human is to play to God's ego. Exactly. Whereas uh, it was Irenaeus who said um, the glory of God is a human fully alive. Like the glory of God is Mm -hmm. the outpouring into creation, the divinization of the cosmos in the pattern of the cross, because in the fourth gospel, the climax of the revelation of God's glory, God's renown um, of God's divinization of reality is Mm -hmm. Christ lifted up on the cross. Yeah. It's it's a deep mystery. And so the tradition going in this direction of God's ego stroking is the opposite. It's it's right. crossless. It's God's need to build crosses for other people instead of God's taking them down and getting on it himself. Yeah, absolutely. Like exactly what you're saying. Jesus being willing to be crucified for all to see that is like the pinnacle of what it means to to live into that glory that like pay attention to this, like my self emptying, my sacrifice for your benefit, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. needing you to like flatter me. Yeah. Um, it's the, op- it ends up being the opposite of how it gets used most of the time and gets used by teachers and pastors and theologians to basically say, Hey, you should feel like a piece of crap. Yeah. So that you can spend more time flattering God's ego. Lee. Yeah. No, no wonder. Like certain, so many trajectories of Christian spiritual formation just lead to like deep mental unhealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's It's abusive. Yeah. It's like, systematic gaslighting and it's <laughs> yeah 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 and if you don't go along with the gaslighting you're going to get burned mm-hmm. so your translation here of affirming the renown of his generosity like hey he's got this the divine has this incredible reputation mm-hmm. of lavish generosity everything is grace everything is gifts so affirming the the glory of his grace is just kind of religious, religious flowers. And, and I love flowers, but like, that's not what we need. Just kind of gloss over it as like, Oh yeah. Like (laughs) shiny things like, okay, moving on. Yeah. My eyes glaze right past it, but knowing like what's the renown of the divine, what's the renown of Yahweh generosity, generosity, gifted gifting. It's all gift as uh, old friend Paul Sparks talks about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that feels really good here. It's, it, 
I, and again, I just, I love that. It's not just saying, let's get rid of the like abusive stuff. When you dig underneath mm-hmm. the abusive crap, um, there's really rich ways to, uh, yeah. revere the sacred. Yeah. It's not just throwing it out. It's actually like wiping off the crud to see what was underneath the whole time. Like, Oh, this is actually maybe good, good stuff. Yeah. Like there's, there's a weird, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, iconoclasm, I suppose. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we need to tip over some holy cows here in the language that we use. We need to re- dare I say it, reject the glory of God to embrace the renown of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or incredible reputation as you, as you put yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. Uh, in verse seven, we're going to usually the word redemption is in there and you've got the purchase of liberation from enslavement mm-hmm. rolls off the that tongue. One. Yeah. But it it's really... Paul here. You can make it. <laughs> yeah. There was no way to have that be like a word or two. Um, I thought about it for a while and it, and it, it needs the full explanation because it carries the full meaning. We just don't have a context for what that word meant. No. Um, and redemption in a very literal, like, yeah, technically this is what that one of the meanings of the word redemption, but like we don't have a context where there are people who are enslaved, at least publicly and ignore, you know, it, you know, used to, mm-hmm. um, but not at the moment. And so we just don't have any context for what redemption can mean. Um, the word here is really more like just purchase from enslavement um, in the sense of like a slave is up for auction and I was the highest bidder, um, mm-hmm. which feels gross. But then I wrestled with this in Matthew where this word came up and it becomes very clear that there's this metaphor of being uh, rescued from the enslavement that you're paying off debts through uh, slave labor. And Jesus is purchasing your debt basically. And so now you owe Jesus the slave labor to pay off the debt to him instead. And his response after purchasing is to forgive the debt. Like you don't owe me anything. Yeah. And so you, so it ends up being purchasing the the liberation from the enslavement instead of just transferring the enslavement. Um, So that's what it means to be a slave of Christ is to be free because that's the very next act is releasing it. Mm -hmm. The release of short poles. Yeah. So that is all contained in this single Greek word is this whole context is understood by the people originally reading and writing this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that's what it means and and it just gets lost in a word like redemption like technically correct but what what is this even talking about yeah yeah it it's a lovely religious word but it's worth um setting it out a little bit more Mm -hmm. unfolding it and then, yeah, you've got uh, the release of shortfalls instead of 
uh, right. forgiveness of trespasses. Right. And that one's another like trying to figure out how to make it fit. It's literal. The Greek word literally means like fall to the side. Um, so it's, it's metaphorical. It's talk, it's, there's lots of path metaphors throughout the scripture. Like walking a path is um, living in sync with yes. what it means to be a, a human treating each other well and connecting with God. Um, and it's never, you're not, it's not a destination. It's a journey. Like all the, all the cliches I can throw out there, but it's true. Like that's, that's the image is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so a short fall, like has the, has the concept of like tripping or falling. And it also it, it's consistently, not every time maybe, but consistently paired with this like economic debt language, mm-hmm. um, which redemption is because that's typically why people were enslaved at Jesus' time is because they were underwater in debt and were trying to pay it off through working it off. Um, I, you know, trying makes it seem voluntary, but it, involuntarily having to work it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what this is. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's less about needing to get rid of anything particularly toxic in the text and more trying to find the deeper, healthier metaphors. The, mm-hmm. um, I mean, one of the big lessons for me when we went through Matthew last season was just how full that, that metaphor of the path, the way of walking mm-hmm. is where um, even the, some of the images of um, conventionally called sin are really mm-hmm. just forms of like straying from a path or stumbling. Like it's all, if you can, yeah. I mean, those words, you didn't even make those translations. It's just like, it's all mm-hmm. right there. But when you are willing to like click into place a couple of the parts where they've avoided that for whatever reason, Mm-hmm. It it just breathes better. Yeah, because like we talked about before, it's not about getting rid of metaphors for the sake of clarity, or even trying to like create metaphors for whatever. Re- like mm-hmm. re- recognizing as I'm going through it, like oh, this metaphor shows up, and not just this word, but all these other like connected images that are all part of like a whole theme right. of images. And wanting to really commit to making sure that that is visible in the English as it is already in the Greek. Um, But because everybody is having to make decisions based on like what seems best to them as they're translating, not not everybody's making decisions that allow those images to come through and allow the themes to really show up that way. Right. Well, there have been quite a few other uh, translation decisions that you made here in the first uh, 14. We only went through seven, verse seven, but right. um, yeah. uh, in the interest of time, we are going to conclude that here and continue on next week with at verse 15 onward. So thank you as always for joining us. Well, on the path on this leg of the journey. Uh, the easiest way to support Founded Translation is to leave us a rating or a review in your podcast player of choice if you're listening to this, or give us a big like and a share 
uh, and maybe a subscribe if you're uh, watching us on YouTube or Facebook. All of these things make it easier for more people to find the show. Got to appease those algorithms. Uh, the second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor. You can do that for just $5 a month. When you do that, you'll get comment access on this translation's Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to the community in the show notes of this podcast episode or in the video notes wherever you're watching. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening.